is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. So welcome in to White Sox Weekly, August 5th, 2023. The first White Sox Weekly we've had since the Major League trade deadline came up on August 1st. The White Sox were big-time actors at the deadline, and we'll get to revisit a lot of the things that were said by White Sox general manager Rick Hahn as the deadline came and went. We'll hear from some of the prospects the White Sox acquired and Kai Bush and Corey Lee, among others. We will talk to White Sox reliever Declan Cronin on the show today. He's got a pretty interesting background. He is the first from his high school to ever make the big leagues. He went to Holy Cross, but he's a lot more than just a a major league reliever now. There's a lot of background to him that I think you'll find pretty interesting, very much the tale of a modern-day hurler in Major League Baseball. We will also talk with MLB.com's Scott Merkin. That's coming up at 4 o'clock. We'll get the latest on the White Sox from inside the clubhouse and kind of figure out exactly what's next for this team. As always, White Sox Weekly is your show as much as anything else. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. There have been a lot of changes around the White Sox here in the last five, six days or so. Gone are Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez and Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman and Jake Berger, for that matter, and Keenan Middleton, too. Obviously, some were White Sox a lot longer than others. Some had been, you know, kind of building blocks around which the White Sox had hoped to contend again here in the last couple of seasons. And while they won a division title in 2021 and made it to the playoffs in 2020, a 500 season last year was not what they were looking for, obviously. And then this year, at 25 games under, this has not been the 2023 that many had hoped. So trades were needed. Trades were needed maybe from a couple of different aspects, a couple of different perspectives, it seems. And we'll walk through some of those things when we get to Scott Merkin at 4 o'clock. Still, there's a lot of meat left on the bone in this season, I think. And I've been a guy here on White Sox Weekly or on any of the flagship shows or wherever you, you hear me or listen to me, even if it's on the street corner as I scream about baseball things, which I do from time to time. I've been looking at this division, this AL Central, And taking a look not just at what teams have now available to them, whether it be prospects or major leaguers that they could go grab, uh, trades that they could go make. You know, the Twins didn't do a lot at the deadline here, and they're on top of the AL Central. The Guardians traded away Aaron Savale and Josh Bell, and they're in second place. The Tigers... Well, the Tigers. I mean, they traded away Michael Lorenzen. They're in third place. They traded away, I'm going to say, there's one more. Oh, Jamer Candelario, they, they traded away. There's there's moves that these teams, the three of them above the White Sox, made that mostly subtracted from their major league talent. And I think finishing out whatever is left of this season still has a lot to do with how successful the White Sox can be in 2024. Pedro Grafol has said as much. Rick Hahn has said something similar, White Sox general manager. And I would imagine that idea, that uh, that mindset kind of goes up the chain all the way to the very top. 
that this team, with the talent that is here at the major league level, the established stuff, the Luis Roberts, the Tim Anderson, the you know, I mean, the, these guys are there and and can form Andrew Benintendi. They, they can form a core as the White Sox kind of reform the 26-man roster from some of the prospect depth that they've acquired here over the last four or five days. This is, after all, until further notice or until any one of those teams, the Twins, the Guardians, the Tigers, not so much the Royals, but I suppose they're in the division so they could, until any one of those teams goes out and drastically alters their formation or, I guess, goes on a huge run here late in the season and shows me something different, this division is still very much up for grabs between the four teams at the top. I think the White Sox have a lot to do to prove themselves that they are more or less at the top or in the mix for the division, but not so much that it's impossible to envision. At least that's my perspective from here. That's kind of how I see. It's going to take some outside adding. Don't get me wrong. You know, the White Sox will likely have to add in free agency. They may may have to make, if they are looking at competing in 2024, which has been a, 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 a mindset said by White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, they may, may have to make a couple more moves here in the offseason. There might have to be a prospect or two that they acquired here this summer, flip for major league talent. After all, that's what prospects are do can do for you. They're talent that other organizations may need. And you may need some of the talent that they've got, some of the right shape, size, color, or flavor of talent. I mean, all that could could be a big factor in where the White Sox are headed next. I think we will see a couple more new faces added to the White Sox here over the next little bit. It sounds like, and the White Sox made a couple of roster moves here today, which we'll get into in just a moment, but it sounds like there's a few who could be, you know, at that AAA or maybe kind of pushed to that AAA and maybe made, maybe a late season MLB call away from making their White Sox debut and, and giving a a taste of what could be to come for any one of those prospects. Corey Lee, the catcher that the White Sox got in exchange for Kendall Graveman out of the Astros system, is notable for being one of those guys who's, who's thought to be close. He is also, by added benefit, a catcher. And the White Sox have carried three catchers before this season. That was Yasmani Grandal, Sebi Zavala, and Carlos Perez, of course. Uh, they could do it again here later on. And remember, rosters do expand. It's not to the same degree as they used to. You don't get to put all 40 guys on a roster in September anymore. But it will go from 26 to 28. And that extra versatility of having a third catcher, especially given the White Sox mix and that they may want to give Yasmani Grandal a DH day, a first base day, or rotate all that stuff around. I wouldn't be all that surprised if perhaps of the prospect haul that the White Sox were able to get at the deadline, whether Corey Lee is up in the bigs at some point. Now, all that said, prospects and a prospect list and a ranking of a system and all of that kind of thing is a good thing. But it does not equate to major league wins. There's development that needs to be had for each and every one of these players. And to that end... We'll talk with White Sox reliever Declan Cronin in a little bit here on the show. I think we'll talk with Declan right around 5 o'clock. And as you think about what development is, you know, it's an organization taking a look at a player, uh, a player's profile both athletically and mentally, right? Like what can he do and what is he mentally able of accomplishing, of changing, of of devoting himself to uh, 
inside the lines and outside in terms of a workout strategy and in terms of an approach at the plate or what have you, and developing all of that while the athlete himself pushes for that kind of you know peak physical quality and, and repetition and consistency and all that kind of stuff. There's more and more the last couple of years, the last, I want to say 10 years, a third party that goes into it as well. And that's, and I suppose to a degree there always has been, but now that third party seems more and more scientific. You know, it used to be, uh, I think about Chris Bryant, you know, known to many in this town, obviously, who had played for the North Side, and he's not with the Rockies. But Chris Bryant was a, a Golden Spikes winner for four, after four years in college and was an NL Rookie of the Year, then MVP. And his swing coach, right, his third party was his dad. And for a lot of players coming up through the ranks, you had a relative, an uncle, a dad, a, you know, whatever. Somebody who has been that kind of like coach presence for you, or maybe in some instances an actual coach who helped with that swing or that delivery or whatever. Well, now, and you'll hear Declan talk about it right around 5 o'clock, there are you know other third parties, Codify. Is a, is a subscription service or a system, I guess, that um, a lot of major leaguers, Lucas Giolito, former White Sox starter included, had kind of subscribed to to widen their own development. Adam Ottavino, reliever for a couple of different places, most notably with the Yankees when he was really on top of his game, kind of developed his own third-party system with a bunch of you know slow-motion cameras, the Edgertronic back when it was this brand-new exotic thing. He set up a storefront in New York on his own so that he could set up these cameras and learn and change the, the pitch grips and the, uh, the delivery and all that kind of stuff. He had that third-party system. And now, I think you'll find it interesting at 5 o'clock when we talk to Declan Cronin, there are a lot of guys coming into the bigs with you know, a development you know, kind of group that is that belongs to the team, right? Your, your director of uh, amateur personnel, your director of player development, and that staff... And also, whatever that player's been doing up to the point where maybe they got drafted or maybe they bounced around a minor league system or two, something like that. There's a lot of steps along the way from the prospects the White Sox have just acquired here to being impact major leaguers. That's kind of the round point here. However, making that matter is up to all three of those parties. You know, making that, I read a report or read an article a while ago, this was some years ago. And it detailed the success, the linkage between having a top minor league system. And the White Sox, even with the addition of talent here, and we'll talk about what Jim Callis of MLB.com said about the improvements the White Sox system had made given the trades that they did here on deadline day and, and a few days prior. But having a number one farm system almost always results in major league success of one way or another, whether that's the division title or a, a couple years of a run, something like that. At the time, when I read this article, they were looking back to the Milwaukee Brewers system that was ranked number one with guys like Ricky Weeks and Tony Gwynn Jr. and Ryan Braun and Prince Fielder and you know these those kind of you know. So this was a while ago, but that means that they had a had had a good long run, a, a large sample size of number one prospects class, and kind of been able to track that through the bigs. I take that to mean prospects, you know, by and large, we've kind of got them pinned at this point, at least within a range. And being able to make the jump as unfortunate and as dissatisfying as having to trade away big league talent in this year where the sights set with the sights set where they were 
as as you know disappointing as that has been, still being able to recoup widely regarded high end talent for some of those trades in some of those trades and a couple of throw in type pieces as well. I, I like the phrase because it's what we've always used, but it also kind of devalues what a guy might be able to provide to a big league team if they just get the development right, if this guy just gets this coaching point right. You know, these these type lottery ticket types, they can be big-time rewards for a ball club. So, you know, hopefully that's where the White Sox are headed here over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, there, there are... You know, a lot of sites set, a lot of a lot of bar, you know, kind of clearing that needs to happen here up to this point. But the White Sox have kind of, it seems to me, regathered a little bit and have now given themselves a, a more solid base from which to kind of pivot into wherever they need to go, wherever they think that is best for this franchise in 2024. I think it can still be contending in this division. It will take some work. Obviously, this team currently, the 2023 team, is going to have to push to get to 62, 65, 66 wins in the rest of the or the rest of the big league season. That's just a fact. And you'd rather be there than not. You'd rather see that development. And there is some left at the big league level. We'll talk about it when we come back. But there is some development that you'd like to see there before anything else that happens in the minors or with some of the prospects. So kind of the long view here on White Sox Weekly. We'll dig into things more specifically as we go. Two things that we'll do when we come back. You'll hear from White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn in case you missed some of the conversation just after the deadline. We played it for you on a couple of White Sox pre- and post-game shows over the last few days, but this is our first chance on White Sox Weekly to talk with you and perhaps your first chance to hear from White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn. We will also dig in a little bit more to what the big league development could be here in the next two months. And we'll remind you right now that Southside Mondays are presented by United Airlines. And they're back. You can join us Monday, August 7th, as your White Sox take on the Rangers in the Southside jerseys and honor small business making small businesses making an impact on the Southside. Get 20 bucks in concession credit when you purchase a specially priced ticket and receive 20% off Southside churches. To purchase, visit whitesox.com slash Mondays. More White Sox Weekly when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight, and you can join us at the ballpark on Tuesday, August 8th for Yacht Rock Night, presented by City Cruises. The first 10,000 fans will receive a White Sox boat captain hat. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. That'll be perfect for the air water show weekend, right? Head out to the uh, lakefront with your White Sox boat captain hat, maybe commandeer a vehicle. No, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. Maybe commandeer a vehicle, drive it around the bay, head to uh, you know, head to the cove, that kind of uh, Don't do that. It's a terrible idea. Don't do it. But you could because that White Sox boat captain hat looks pretty good. I've seen it. We were talking a lot about the, uh, the prospects the White Sox have added here at the big league level and a, a roster move that got made. I teased uh, in case you hadn't seen it. Prior to the game today, White Sox and Guardians, game two of a three-game series. Sox looking to snap a five-game losing streak. Uh, The White Sox lost last night, but tonight we'll uh, have a bit of a different look, at least in the bullpen. Three roster moves announced by the White Sox today. 
Lane Ramsey, a right-hander who had been at AAA Charlotte, 27 years old and a tall drink of water, six foot nine, 230 pounds, has been called up to the bigs. Uh, he has no major league experience, and the first time, so the first time he gets in the game, uh, will be his major league debut. That's because right-handed reliever Gregory Santos was placed on the bereavement list. Best to Santos and his family. Uh, you can be on the bereavement list, must be on the bereavement list, for a minimum of three days and not more than seven, just in terms of a procedural thing there for Gregory Santos. And the White Sox also claimed right-handed reliever, right-handed pitcher, I should say, Brent Honeywell, off of waivers from the San Diego Padres. More on Honeywell in just a second. But Ramsey... I saw a throw a couple of times in big league spring training this year. And I remember thinking, you know, kind of right off the top, I think I was d- doing the game with, with Steve Stone when Ramsey got in first. And I, you could really see kind of the big league reliever stuff, right? A big fastball, a good enough breaking ball to keep guys kind of off that speed, kind of the, uh, the, the loose delivery, but still six foot nine, a lot of extension off the mound. Ramsey's limiting right handers to a thir- 232 average uh, through, what would you call it, 36 innings at AAA Charlotte. And obviously, you never scout just the stat line but the the numbers for Ramsey have been pretty good in relief the ERA has not been it's a 5.5 but that's where you go okay Charlotte is a launching pad AAA is what it is how much does an ERA really mean to you when you're evaluating a reliever who's worked 36 innings is it one bet you know all that kind of stuff kind of folds in and in talking to some of the group that was down there at spring training, Ramsey did kind of um, did kind of for sure flash as a relief prospect that could make the bigs at this point or or in this season. He's 27 years old, so congratulations to Lane Ramsey. He is in the show and may well get into the ball game tonight. Now Honeywell is an interesting conversation, and it kind of pairs well. The, the acquisition of Brent Honeywell, with the acquisition of Luis Patino. The White Sox picked up Luis Patino from the Rays. It was a, a deal for cash considerations. Later, Patino, a former top 100 guy, he was probably the big-time pitching prospect that made the Blake Snell deal work. You'll remember Snell was you know pulled from that World Series game while away. There was a big kerfuffle in the offseason. Will he stay? Will he go? He was traded to the Padres and Luis Patino, one of the big names that went back to the Rays. It didn't work out, uh, but Patino has that kind of shine on him as a former top 100 guy. Well, you can put Brent Honeywell in a similar kind of structure. Honeywell was a maybe the top pitching prospect for, for a couple of moments while he was with the Rays. Injuries have been a big deal for Honeywell, though, over the last couple of years. Uh, Four different elbow issues uh, that have required surgery, one of them being a Tommy John. So obviously, that's, you know, he's had some issues. But the stuff has been there. The, you know, getting back to that form is, is is the next step for Brett Honeywell. But you like to add as much of that, you know, kind of top tier looking pitching talent as you can at this point in the season. Obviously, these guys are added to what will likely be minor league teams and you know, will maybe have a chance to prove themselves here down in the last two months and then provide some depth for the White Sox when you get to spring training in 2024. But those were those moves all made today. 
And a couple of things that we'd update you on before we talk to uh, White Sox beat reporter Scott Merkin in just a couple of minutes here. It's Michael Kopech and Noah Syndergaard tonight for the White Sox and Guardians. The Guardians picked up Syndergaard in a trade for Ahmed Rosario. He went to the Dodgers. Syndergaard came back to the Guardians. They were looking for pitching depth. Not that they don't have pitching depth necessarily. It's just that the Guardians, even though they always develop great pitching, has really had a lot of injuries in the starting rotation and with some of the you know, the bulkier relievers, the guys that can take it a little bit longer than, um, than some one-inning dudes. Xavier Curry, notwithstanding, he's going to pitch or is slated to pitch tomorrow morning for the Guardians. Kopech gets the ball tonight. And where I wanted to kind of wrap this part of the show and then head into Scott Merkin is in talking about... And we'll talk about with this with Merck in just a couple of minutes. What there is left developmentally for the White Sox at the big league level this year. And I think that conversation, as much as it includes Oscar Colas, as much as it includes all the young relievers, all the young pitching the White Sox have called up here over the last week or so, guys like Zach Remillard, this includes and maybe is headlined by Michael Kopech. The stuff is there. The consistency has not been. The velocity is there. Most starts. The breaking ball is there in some occasions. The extra base hits have been there and the walks have been there. So how do the White Sox make that next step with Michael Kopech? Where does he go next in order to make sure that they've got a guy, that Kopech can be a guy you can count on toward the top half of your rotation in 2024. That's where we will head after the break. We'll tell you what's coming up in just 10 seconds. We'll pause it here for station identification. Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. Sox fans, 2024 ticket plans are available now. Be here for the biggest matchups, and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as a ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. Scott Merkin, MLB.com beat writer for the Chicago White Sox, is our guest next. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Recap the game, Cap and Jay Hood, weekday mornings at 7. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Join us on August 8th for $5 Tuesdays. All fans will enjoy a specially priced $5 concessions menu, including 16-ounce draft beers from Miller Lite or Modelo, Garrett Popcorn Stadium Buttery, Vienna beef hot dogs or Polish sausages, beggars, pizza slices, nachos, and select Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash Tuesdays. I'm Connor McKnight, and joining me is White Sox beat reporter Scott Merkin for MLB.com. Merk, appreciate you as always. Great to have you on. Hey, Connor. I was listening to that food list, and I think the pizza is all I list eat out of that list. But I'm a really picky eater, so I'm sure the rest is great, too. Well, listen, at 5 bucks, you could put down a 20, have yourself a couple of slices, and call it a pretty great afternoon. I mean, let's be there honest. There you go. Or put down a 20 and eat for like something like 15, 20 minutes. It's a great deal. Yeah, you'd be good. You'd be all good. Hey, Merck, real quick, <laughs> I want to start this just a little bit differently than normal, uh, only because it's been such a big week for the White Sox here. And I know you've heard this before. Shoot, you might have even asked Rick Hahn the question that got this answer. 
But I wanted to hit this as a as touching base, essentially, for the conversation for everyone listening as we kind of go forward with the White Sox. So this was a question asked to Rick Hahn after the Major League Baseball trade deadline that was um, trying to lead toward the future uh, about whether the core that exists now that is still here with the White Sox is something that he's considering shaking up later on this winter. You don't shake something up just to shake it up. That said, it obviously hasn't, what we've put out there hasn't worked the last couple of years now, or hasn't worked since at least 21. So there is absolutely consideration and dialogue and various permutations that we've played with that have a different look going forward. What exactly that's going to be come the 24 season, there's a lot of time between now and then to to put that all in place. But just as it would be foolish for us to enter this trade deadline period and not talk about the entire roster and understand the value of our entire club. Uh, it'd be foolish for us to essentially say, nah, it's going to work better next time with this, with this same group. So Merck, appreciate you bearing with me on that. I, I bet you've transcribed that seven or eight times here in the last four or five <laughs> days too. But I, I wonder, given that, what do you think the White Sox, from both a front office perspective and a coaching perspective, want to see kind of resolve itself here in the final two months most so that they've got a better idea on how to answer some of those questions Rick Hahn kind of posed? Well, here's my question back for you, Connor, who's around the team a lot too. I mean, will anything resolve itself mm-hmm. over the next two months? You know, I mean, they're 25 games under 500 right now. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, planning tea times on October 4th or whatever the heck the last day of the season is. But, you know, I mean, they're playing for pride, which is great, but do you get, it's kind of like when you call someone up and they have a great five weeks and then you say, okay, they're ready and they carry on next year and they're not ready, you know? So, I mean, I'm trying to figure out if these last two months, how much it'll tell them one way or the other, you know what I'm saying? I I think they have of the core they have a pretty good understanding of what works, what doesn't work with almost each guy at this point. They've had them long enough. And let's be honest, you know, I understand that Sox fans were very excited during the trade deadline because they, you know, no one improved their minor league system more than the White Sox did during that during that trade deadline. They I think like six of the new of the top thirty in our MLB pipeline came from that trade deadline. And if you want to add more in, you know, through the draft, they added more in through the draft as well too. So it was a good stretch for them. But not kind of the draft because that happens every year. But let's not forget that this came to be. And, again, it came to be because a lot of these guys, aside from Jake Berger and, I guess, Kendall Graveman because he had a year left, mm. were because, you know, they, they were expiring contracts. But it came to be because this rebuild, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm not speaking out of turn here. It failed, right? I mean, yeah. they, they, went, they went about it the right way. They got the right players in place. They had a lot of talent there. And for their work, they got two playoff wins. And not two playoff series wins, two playoff game wins. And that's not even, you know, not every, so many teams go through rebuilds and there's no, you know, uh, door prize for saying you almost got there. So not every team is going to win a championship. I understand that Cubs, Astros, Royals, to some extent, the Orioles look tremendous right now. They're probably just behind the Braves in terms of the best teams in baseball on paper right now. But you know, not every team that goes through a rebuild is going to win a title. That's what you want. That's the goal. There's no other point in going out there unless you're trying to win a championship, right? But what they achieved is even far below the bar of not winning the championship. You know what I'm saying? So it'll be interesting to see how they do evaluate, how Rick and Kenny and the front office and 
you know, Jerry Reinsdorf and everyone in that front office evaluate what goes forward and how much it changes in the next, you know, two months. If someone has a hot streak of that core in the next two months, does it change what they already think, what they know of someone whom they've watched for three years? You know, does that say, okay, I have a different view now. So that I, it would be something to ask Rick next time, whatever that is, the next time we talk to him, what their basis for judgment is. But to make a really long answer short, I think basically what Rick's saying is, you know, I asked him after the first two trades, it may have been a little early, but I thought it, you know, it was worthy of an answer whether this is considered another rebuild for the team. And Rick kind of, you know, said, no, we're not, we're not going there yet. And maybe they aren't right. Maybe they don't have a full answer as the direction. Now they wouldn't have made these moves without some sort of plan in mind, but it may be something that comes more in the off season, which involves more players or player from the core being moved and changing things around a little bit more because it, you know, like he said, what, they did just was not working. And really, as has been pointed out, since that first half of Tony LaRusso's first year, it's not been a good baseball team. Yeah. Yeah, Merck, I, Scott Merkin of MLB.com joining us here on White Sox Weekly. I, I completely agree you know, with, with the assessment of where things are. I do think, though, and I want to see what you think about these two players, too. I do think that continued development in the case of Oscar Colas and just more consistency for Michael Kopech in the last two months of this season, probably would help inform the White Sox next steps this winter. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if Kopech goes, you know, Super Saiyan and lights out here in the last two months, that that means he's on the team for 24. It could very well mean the opposite. He could pitch so well that that's a piece you can move to shore up some other places. Maybe even the same for Colas, but those two guys could still show you something, I think, here in the last two months that may alter how you're approaching 24. Absolutely, and I think those are two younger examples of the core. I think I was thinking more of more established guys in there, but I understand exactly what you're saying, and that's why so many Sox fans who are so in tune with the system want to see Lenine Sosa up here mm. for the final month and a half of the season because, you know, again, let's be honest, he has crushed it at Charlotte and has not done anything at the major league level. I think he's 13 for 103 overall in the major league level. Now, again, been used sporadically, been used here, not used there, and then gone back down, come back up. So never really a huge run, but the results have not been good. But I think people would like to see him, you know, who followed the system closely, let him play unabated for six weeks and see what he shows. So I agree with you totally on both those guys. I think it's important for Kopech just because he's been struggling lately Mm. and struggling throwing strikes and struggling finding consistency that he kind of figures a little bit of that out because he's one of the two set starters for next year, right? As of right now, I mean, Jesse Schultz and Tuki Toussaint have done a very nice job since being put into the rotation, but they're not set for next year at this point. So, I mean, you basically have two guys coming back for sure in that rotation, Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech, and then, you know, whatever they decide to do with Garrett Crochet because he's going to have a much lower innings base than what they probably definitely envisioned at the beginning of the season. But Koas is a great example. You know, Colas needs to play as much as possible. They need to see. But the thing that I've been surprised at Colas is I thought he'd have a little more extra base power than what he's shown so far. I mean, he's shown to have a great arm out there, one of the better arms in the American League, I think, just judged by velocity of throw and just accuracy and everything else. But been missing it a little bit, but again, and a little bit in other areas. But again, he's a young guy. So, like you said, these last two months may be important to him to show what he can do. My only question would be is they're showing it in kind of a non 
pressure situation, which can be good because yeah. you can just you know go back and just do what you got to do and not worry about man if I mess this up it's going to cost us the playoffs you know because they're 14 games out and 25 under right now. But I think every game is as Peter Grafolo has mentioned. Every game is important. So don't let's let's not say that they're mailing anything in. But I I think it's more important maybe for some of these younger younger guys who are trying to figure things out to get a good base and a good focus, a good plan moving forward going into 2024. In the last couple of minutes heading up to the Major League trade deadline, we saw a lot of you know Bigfoot national reporters, national baseball reporters, uh, tweet Dylan Cease's name out quite a bit. Um, the I, I know that name was brought up to Rick Hahn in that uh, conversation that we played a snippet for you from. What sense did you get toward the deadline, the end of it, uh, about Cease's man? Availability seems too simple a term, doesn't it, for a guy that's as good as Cease and it was would be as right. so complicated to move as Dylan Cease late at a deadline like this. I mean, to a point. Any pitcher that finished runner-up in the Cy Young last year and has had a decent enough season like Cease had can be a difference maker to whatever team and is going to have his name talked about, given the fact he's on a team that's 20 games or so under 500. Sure, um, sure. But there's a, you know, how real was anything, I think, is going to be an, a question people ask for years at that point. Yeah, I think the bottom line on that, without knowing exact, the exact answer to that, is they had him, they have him under control through 2025. So I believe that, you know, they went into that setting a very, very high, high bar. And I don't want to compare a player to like owning property, but like if you own a piece of land that you don't need to sell, you put a really high asking price on it, right? And if someone comes in and says, I'll meet that asking price, you're like, okay, we're going to move the land, you know? And now make that as a player, you know, bad, maybe bad comparison. But you know what I'm trying to say is, you have two years, of, you have you know more than two, you have two and a half years of control overseas. So you're going to ask for the highest return possible. And there's no reason to move him if you don't get that return because he can still help you 100%. So I think that's the deal. Now, maybe they change their plan going into the offseason. Maybe something different comes about. I know there are some who have advocated because it didn't work. Just kind of tear the whole thing down. You know, just start again and just go with a new base and see what you can do. But I don't think it's on Dylan. You know, I think Dylan is a, is an outstanding pitcher. He's had a couple, you know, off outings the last couple of times, but I think he's still one of the top starting pitchers around. And again, with that kind of control, you don't just make him. As Rick said, we'll go back to Rick's quote that you played, Connor, to start the interview. You don't just make a move. You don't just change things around just for change's sake. You have to get something substantial in return. And they obviously that was not met, and they didn't make the move for him. One of the things that I've been impressed by when it comes to Pedro Grafal here over the last couple of weeks, tough as, as it has been, and the Sox on a five-game losing streak, his commitment uh, to getting the little things, to getting that development, to squeezing every last little bit of juice out of each and every ball game to, to provide meaning for players has been there from minute one. And I, I wonder if that's not... You know, given the circumstances, you don't want to be in the spot the Sox are in at this point. Let's be honest. But given the circumstances, I think I think Pedro might be the exact right guy needed uh, to kind of push everybody in these last two or so months. Yeah, I think so. I think he's. You know, I mean, he has talked about though that he wants to win as much as possible, um, which might be go against some people's thoughts outside the organization who want them to be in in the running for that top draft pick, right, for next year, if you're looking at this as either a, another rebuild or some sort of reshaping. But, yeah, I mean, he's constantly working 
with his staff trying to clean things up that are that are messing up there. I should add one more thing on the trade front that I did I did hear at the very beginning that Rick and the front office were looking basically to move guys whose contracts were expiring, you know, low control contracts or guys who didn't maybe have the fit they wanted for next year. So that's why I think Cease was, even with the mentions, even with the rumblings that last day, was kind of a long shot to go anywhere because he didn't fit either of those of those molds. But, yeah, I think Pedro is, you know, I, I think it, it's hard to evaluate a guy because the team has just been bad, and I don't think it's all on him. I think there's some of it on the roster, a lot of it on the players. So it's hard to say what he is or isn't. But he certainly is not letting up the focus that he's had since we talked to him in February, you know, where he wants, you know, he wants to clean some things up. He wants every player to, to improve themselves. And, you know, he doesn't want, he's not going to go for development though, over the fact of trying to win a game. So it's kind of a mixed thing you're trying to focus on. And it's a tough position. You know, this is a guy who's fought hard to get to this level and not to this level to get to his, his first major league managing opportunity, obviously. And then the first time you get it, you start off seven and twenty-one, and really never recover. You know there were some moments, basically because of the AL Central, that they got within four and a half games, they got within five games, and it looked like okay, maybe they'll you know somehow pull this off with seventy-nine wins or something like that. Well, that what that's not going to happen. But you know it, it's tough to balance that. You want to win every game because that's why you're out there with also watching things for development. I mean, he's talked to us about plans that someone mentioned to him the other day about how Colas had looked better. And I think his numbers show that he's better in right field and Pedro seeded that, but also said there's a lot of work to do. He doesn't agree that he's where he needs to be. Mm. And there's a young guy they have a very set plan with, and they've had that set plan with him since spring training. And he, you know, Colas is open to that kind of improvement. So yeah, it, it, it's good in that sense. It's just a weird season to judge him on anything because the team has just not been good. You know, obviously, a, a, a real difficult news with, with Liam Hendricks having to go yes. with Tommy John surgery. He's a, a literally a beating heart that kind of moves this team. Um, the the recovery time may keep him out for all of next season, and that would then expire the the term on his contract. What what sense do you get of what's next for Liam? Is this a thing where you know you regroup and touch base in the off season after some time has passed and those initial you know benchmarks in recovery from Tommy John go by? That was a tough one to answer because it just was announced. What was it Wednesday? I guess. Yeah. So so I don't know exactly what the plan is moving forward yet. But I will say that you know I mean he is been the story of the year right and it's sad that you know it that it ended up being it finished on tommy john and as as pedro pointed out he talked to us thursday about this in texas about i think daryl asked him when did you kind of sense that it was going in that direction and he said well when he said it you know there was pain when he was throwing he said because he can pitch through pretty much anything so when he did when he acknowledged that something was not right he knew that wasn't a good support but you know the fact that he has beaten cancer, that he has shared this journey, and that he still continues, you know, even going through this rehab. And I understand that it's a rehab that a lot of pitchers go through, but after all he had been through this year and all he was working for, and probably in the back of his mind sensed that it was heading towards Tommy John surgery, if mm-hmm. not for certain a good percentage, he still managed, not managed, but he still met with people at every ballpark by his choice, by his request, who were going through or had gone through the same cancer battle that he has. And I think that, you know, 
you can't say enough about the person that Liam Hendricks is, the person that people that him and his wife, Christy, and what they've gone through and what they've shared and the inspiration they've provided to others. So you hope that he gets through this. And if, you know, he wants to pitch on the other side, which I'm sure he will, knowing Liam Hendricks, that there's an opportunity for him to do so, and I'm sure there will be. Which of the which of the prospects acquired by the White Sox here has you most intrigued? I know you guys as a beat have gotten uh, the chance to either you know video chat with or, or actually talk with most of them at some point. Which do you hear kind of the most, uh, I don't know, helium-centered conversations around? Well, obviously the 20-year-old catcher they got from the Angels is an interesting prospect because he's at Birmingham and 20 years old, right? And uh, Kai Bush, who came with him from the Angel system, talked him up about the maturity that he has. I, I think uh, Corey Lee, the catching prospect from Houston, who has a little bit of major league experience and was on the World Series roster for the Astros, so experienced that World Series championship, got a World Series ring out of that season, kind of understands a little bit about what it takes to win. I think, and I think he'll be up here before too, up up in with the Sox, not up here, but with, you know with the Sox in too long. I think he's an interesting guy to, to check out. And, you know, they've talked about the pitching. It, you know, that was a key thing. It looks like they identified depth and arms and the young man they got for Jake Berger, which wasn't a trade that I thought was mm. that I was in a hundred percent agreement with, but you know what? They don't really ask me if I'm in agreement with before <laughs> they make the trade, but, but, and it, but the agreement had more to do with Jake Berger. This agreement had more to do with Jake Berger. <clears throat> Excuse me, not Jake Eater. Everyone I've talked to has talked about, what a top-notch pitching prospect this young man is and the opportunity he may have to become a one or two guy in your rotation for years to come. I mean, whether it's people I know who have covered the Marlins, people in our pipeline system or just scouts in general, they love Jake Eater. So, you know, that's just a few. But again, the, 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 the story is it's great they did this. It's great they got what they could for guys who were probably, you know, almost certainly leaving. But you have to go that next step, and that's what they missed last time, right? They had a... Yeah. I mean, Yohan Moncada was the number one prospect in baseball, right? And mm-hmm. that was, you know, Michael Kopech was a camp. And Michael Kopech still may be a top-of-the-line rotation guy. You know, he's had a lot of different things that he's dealt with over the time with the Sox. Same with Moncada. You can't control back injuries. Those things are just the toughest thing to deal with, and you never know what little movement is going to trigger that. But not making a choose from it, it's great they have these guys. It's great they're building the system. I'm sure they will continue doing that. But you gotta, you know, you don't win any prizes being the top farm system. You don't get an extra six wins the next year because you moved up ten places in the farm system ranking. You gotta win at the major league level. So they're they're amassing talent like they've done before. Now they have to go to that next step. Scott, appreciate you as always. Look forward to the latest. Okay, Connor, take care. Thanks. That's Scott Merkin who covers the White Sox for MLB.com and does a darn good job of it. You can read the latest. Uh, from Scott Merkin right there, MLB.com. It's just easy to find. Couldn't be simpler. We've got more White Sox Weekly on the way here, but I will let you know that you can join us at the ballpark next Saturday, August 12th, and the White Sox take on the Brewers at 6.15 p.m. The first 10,000 fans, 21 and older, will receive a White Sox football jersey presented by Miller Lite. I've seen them being demoed around the ballpark here over the last couple of days. I got a good look to them, kind of like the kind of an old-school 90s football jersey look sort of thing, like a like a good Super Nintendo football video game. It's it's good feel. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. We'll hear from more from White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn on the other side of a quick break. 
It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Yep. It's simple. The ESPN Chicago app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Got a ball game coming up here. White Sox and Guardians with a 6-10 first pitch. Michael Kopech and Noah Syndergaard, the starters. We got the lineup out for you. We'll get that to you in just a moment here. Tim Anderson's at the leadoff spot and playing short. Andrew Benintendi's in left. Luis Robert Jr. in center field, batting three. Eloy Jimenez, the DH, bats four. Andrew Vaughn at first. Yasmani Grandal will catch five and six. Oscar Colas, Elvis Andrews, and Zach Remillard round out the starters. Colas is in right, batting seven. Andrews at second base, batting eight. And Remillard gets a start over at third base today against the Guardians. Sox have lost five in a row, and we'll look to fix that this evening. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to talk White Sox reliever Declan Cronin. In just a little bit, he was a, uh, a draft pick of the White Sox in the 36th round of the 2019 MLB draft. And you may be thinking, Connor, there, there hasn't been a 36th round for some years. And that's right. 2019 was the last draft before the pandemic, as you know. The pandemic year in 2020, the draft was shortened to five rounds for all host of reasons, but most of which was that there you know, wasn't a whole lot of organized baseball, so no real opportunity to scout some of those players. A lot of high schools didn't even play their seasons. Not that Declan was in high school at the time. He was at Holy Cross finishing up his collegiate career uh, in 2019. Uh, but then after that 2020 season, we had the lockout situation, and they changed the number of rounds in the draft. It's now 20. So Declan Cronin, and we'll talk about it when we talk to Declan at 5 o'clock, may well be the last 36th round pick to ever make the bigs. That's an accomplishment in and of itself. But Declan is up with the White Sox because of the trades, because of his work, but also because the trades the White Sox made leading up to and at deadline day opened up roster spots. And I I wanted to just kind of replay a little bit more from White Sox general manager Rick Hahn here. We we played some of it with Scott Merkin and, and, and talked a lot about Hahn's conversation with White Sox beat reporters with Scott Merkin here just a few minutes ago. But Han was asked, and I think the answer here is is an interesting one. There's a lot to it. And the answer was asked whether this is, whether the White Sox now are on again, a full rebuild. And Han answered like this. It was very clear, obviously, that 2023 wasn't going the way any of us intended. And we entered this deadline knowing that there were players that we would be best served by moving on from and restocking the farm system. None of us wanted to be in this position, but we all felt very good about or all feel very good about what we were able to accomplish once we accepted the fact that this is the position we are in. We still have many impactful talents in Chicago. Uh, We still play in a division in which no one has really run away and hid in. Certainly competing for the postseason is viable in 2024. In all candor, sitting here on 55 minutes after the trade deadline just ended, proclaiming this is how we're going to get there in 24 isn't exactly our mission. Over the the last several weeks, it's been put ourselves in the best position to execute this deadline effectively. We feel like we've, we've done that. You know, quite candidly, going back three weeks to the draft, this entire month has been about putting the Chicago White Sox 
in as good a position as possible as we can going forward. And based upon what we were able to do in this year's draft and now what we've been able to do at the deadline, uh, the organization is much, much stronger for 24 and beyond. And there are a lot outside the organization who would support that fact. Rick Hahn kind of mentioned uh, this is from Jim Callis. I'm not sure if it's his latest, but it was a piece that Jim Callis put out uh, on MLB.com day before last, I think it was. And he was asked a question on Twitter, which teams improved their farm system the most as a result of the draft and recent trades? And Callis wrote this. The White Sox and Mets helped their farm systems more than anyone over the last month. New York added a bit more high-end talent, but Chicago will make a bigger leap up our soon-to-be-updated organization talent rankings because they ranked close to the bottom before the draft and trade deadline. Ten of the first 20 White Sox prospects on our revised top 30 list, ten of the first 20, joined the organization in the last month. That's shortstop Jacob Gonzalez, who was a first-round pick in the draft, right-handers Grant Taylor, Seth Keener, and outfielder George Wolkow, all acquired in the draft, catchers Edgar Caro and Corey Lee, Caro in the trade with the Angels, Corey Lee in the trade with the Astros, left-handers Jake Eater and Kai Bush, and righties Nick Nestrini and Jordan Leisure, all via trade Eater, in the Jake Berger, Jake Berger deal, Kai Bush in the Giolito and Lopez deal, Nick Nestrini and Jordan Leisure, the two right-handers that came over in the Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly trade with the Dodgers. So that's Jim Callis kind of writing about, very much writing about, how, how much better the White Sox have gotten as a system. From, from most, I think the senses in the, most of the places that rank systems uh, have not updated the full system rankings yet, but they're kind of eyeballing where things would land. Most kind of have it toward the top half of the middle, the White Sox farm system. Probably not a top 10, though we'll, we'll see. You know, there are probably some retrenchments, some, some re-scouting looks at guys like Noah Schultz, who did not pitch a lot in the first part of the season. Colson Montgomery, who was hurt for the first half of the season, who, you know, you could reevaluate. You could see some outlets reevaluating their takes on Noah Schultz, perhaps, and on Colson Montgomery a little. And maybe that changes the overall arc of the entire farm system. But as Scott Merkin said in our interview with him just a little while ago on the show, and that that is essentially, it's good, right? You want a better farm system, Usually that pans out to more wins at the major league level. But you also have to win at the major league level, and the White Sox are trying, are going to try and figure out how to do that in 2024 over the next couple of months. At least that's what it seems like to me. We'll talk with Declan Cronin coming up at 5 o'clock, but when we come back, I kind of wanted to take a look at you know some of the ways they might be able to kind of push themselves in 2024, uh, run down some of the available options maybe. You know, just kind of look a bit toward the future before we refocus on the next two months of White Sox baseball where there are indeed, as Rick Hahn said, some serious talents and development left to kind of prove what's there for the Sox as we round out this season and head the next. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. If you're looking for a unique way to start your game day, treat your group to a pregame patio party. You'll get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. 
For more information, visit whitesocks.com slash patio or call or text 312-674-1000. This is White Sox Weekly. White Sox and Guardians coming up in just a little bit. It's a 6-10 first pitch. Sox looking to break out of a five-game losing streak. We got some uh, some going on here in, in Major League Baseball, too. Something to watch for. The Washington Nationals, Yoan Edan, has five innings of perfect work against the Cincinnati Reds. You know, the Reds have been slumping a little bit here of late, at least offensively, I should say. But uh, he's... he's He's perfect. Adon is. Five innings, seven strikeouts. A little ways to go, but he's only at 59 pitches, too, through five innings of work. So that could be something pretty interesting to watch. Yohan Adon uh, was a an international signee by the Washington Nationals back in 2016 and is now in his third professional season. He's got an ERA of 540 this year. Uh, but is perfect through five. So that's kind of something to look at. We were playing a little bit of a conversation from White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, and I wanted to continue playing a little bit of tape here, but this time this time from some of the, uh, the players themselves that the White Sox acquired here in the last uh, week or so leading up to the deadline. And he's, um, he's a guy that's probably really close to coming to the White Sox at some point soon here. You know, rosters expand. We talked about Corey Lee a little bit already. He's the catcher, a former roommate of Andrew Vaughn's while the two were players at Cal. Uh, Corey Lee talked a little bit just earlier this week about what he learned in his first stint in the big leagues. He's had a taste already. Um, I got to be around Martin Maldonado. I got to uh, learn from him. I got to see how he managed the coaching staff or a pitching staff at that end. Um, learned how he communicated with pitchers and it, it taught me a lot. And obviously I'm going to carry that into and in further in my career um, and obviously just kind of make it my way. But he taught me how to really, really be a professional catcher. And obviously over there at Houston, they knew how to win. And obviously I kind of want to bring that over to the White Sox. Lee got into 12 games last year with the Astros, so he's still rookie eligible. And if I'm doing the math right, would still be rookie eligible for next year, even if he were to come up and play uh, a good chunk of the games here in the end of the 2023 system. He is 25 years old, and I just turned 25. July 25th is is his birthday. Um, You know, scouting report has a lot of power attributed to Corey Lee, a good catch-and-throw guy is something that has been said quite often uh, about Lee. The, um, you know, how much development is left in, in the player's profile is, is kind of up to question, I guess, if you were to look at the other side of the coin. But, you know, when we asked Andrew Vaughn about what kind of player Corey Lee was, he just kind of he did one of these things, you know, where you, you kind of went, man, power. You know, that, kind of, that was kind of Andrew Vaughn, his former roommate's scouting report, of now White Sox catcher Corey Lee. He was asked to give a little self-scouting report as well and, and detailed what he's looking to work on and what he's good at already. I want to continue to refine just the game calling aspect. Um, obviously, just being a professional, being young, um, connecting with older pitchers, I think that's a that's kind of something that goes... Just not, not a lot of people see it. Um, is, is a 25-year-old trying to talk to a to a 32-year-old that's been in the league for a little bit. So um, communication is something that I'm obviously going to get better at. Um, something that I I do really, really well is is throwing really, really well. So I'm going to continue to do that. And then obviously just having high energy out on the field 
Um, I think that correlates to the game. And obviously, when the catcher has high energy, I think the game gets going a little bit more. He also talked at least a little about the conversation he and Andrew Vaughn had after the trade was completed. Vaughn said they were on the phone something like five minutes uh, that night before both of them had to get ready, well, before Vaughn had to get ready for a ball game that evening. But the two former roommates did talk about what it's like to be a Chicago White Sox. Just to be ready, um, be ready to play. You got to be ready to uh, to give it all every single day. And I think that's what that's what I do every day. That's what I pride myself on. And um, I know that's what he does really, really well. So it's, a, it's someone good to hold me accountable. And I could also hold him accountable of it. There's one more little piece here. And it was, he already mentioned, when we played for you, his kind of, boy, reverence? I think you could call it reverence toward Martin Maldonado. The Astros certainly hold him in high regard. They have year after year here in the last like four or five um, almost repeatedly, or almost without without any kind of uh, looking back, leaned away from improving their catcher position offensively because of what Maldonado offers behind the plate. And it's wild, too, because Martin Maldonado, even if you grade out some of the defensive stuff, some of the framing stuff especially, doesn't grade out as elite. The receiving stuff is good. The blocking stuff is great. What everybody raves about with Martin Maldonado is how good he is working with pitchers and getting the best out of those guys, one way or another, right? And that's kind of the you know, soft skill set is, is something that's used kind of in corporate American. I don't know why it's in my brain because I've never been there, but kind of one of those soft skills that means a whole lot, maybe more than what everything else looks like on paper. So I think it's really interesting, especially when you've got a guy who's, you know, like Maldonado, who's league-wide reviewed this way, revered this way too, um, and you've got a player kind of coming up in his shadow a little bit, but also through some of his tutelage, Lee talked a, a bit more about who, what he learned from Martin, Martin Maldonado. It's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes. Um, it's a lot of work that goes on in the gym, um, at home, your recovery. Um, I think that's something that I've learned a lot from him, that he, he takes care of his body, he takes care of his mind, he takes care of his family. Um, I think the family aspect on that also takes care of your of your mind, uh, kind of a sets sets something easy in your mind and um, makes you something to go, kind of gives you something to go and play for. So um, rather than just focusing on the baseball part of it, he really focuses on family. And I think that's um, something that I've learned uh, from him, obviously. That's kind of a cool perspective there, I think. So many guys, and especially during the the MLB trade season, Lance Lynn talked about this some in his final press conference before going off to the Dodgers with White Sox beat reporters, just about how, you know, this is – this is real life for these guys, right? And as fun as it is to watch somebody like who we'll talk to Declan Cronin here in just about 18 minutes. He's our interview at five o'clock. Somebody like Declan Cronin make his major league debut up in the bigs for two days before finally pitching this last Sunday. And because of all that time in between getting called up and making his debut, there's plenty of time to have the whole family out, the crew from high school, a couple of friends locally, you know, his girl, all this other kind of, that's awesome. But for everybody else who's shipping out, guys who didn't expect to be traded, uh, there's there's upheaval, right? There's there's family members, there's there's wives, there's babies, there's house hunting, there's apartment searching, there's hotel living on the other side of this stuff. And yeah, 
they do it with a lot more resource than than you and I, right? When we move to different jobs or have to change or travel or whatever, right? Um, but it is still psychologically affecting, right? It's it's well, this team didn't want me, and now this team maybe does, or or maybe I was just the best guy they could get in this deal. You know, all those things kind of matter, and all those things, especially nowadays, we're realizing means more and more to what a ball player can give to the organization or conversely what an organization can get out of a ball player so you know I, I think taking a look at that kind of the way Corey Lee was detailing there in the conversation Martin he and Martin Maldonado had clearly had but kind of making this more than just the baseball right making this more than than just what this is from a transactional standpoint at, at times so I think that's a I thought that was pretty interesting from Corey Lee to be honest with you 312-332-3776 that's the phone number we'll talk a little bit more about what's coming up in tonight's ball game maybe get into the Noah Syndergaard Michael Kopech conversation a little bit tonight there are yeah, some similarities between the two of them I mean shoot Michael Kopech was called the young Syndergaard when he was coming up through the Boston Red Sox system before the White Sox acquired him in the Chris Sale trade. So there are connections between these two hurlers uh, that date back almost 10 years now. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitch. ESPN 1000 Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Get to the ballpark early next Sunday, August 13th, for Family Sundays, presented by Coca-Cola. And don't miss pregame kids' autograph sessions. The first 125 kids to enter at Gate 5 will be escorted to a special area where they will receive autographs from some of their favorite White Sox players. Learn more at whitesox.com slash Sunday. That's that's probably my favorite day at the ballpark. Doing the Sunday postgame show at Guaranteed Rate Field, while the kids run the bases down there on the ball, I mean, it is, it's an absolute blast. Those kids get so excited rounding third base and heading home. Like, it's just, it's great. It's absolute fun. If you've got a couple of little ones that are interested in heading out to the ballpark, maybe you haven't been there in a while, maybe they've never had a chance to run the bases, maybe you didn't know that the kids could run the bases after Sunday ball games at Guaranteed Braid Field. Get on out there Sunday, August 13th. And run the bases with them if they're still just a little bit ways. You know, if you've got a really tiny one, they'll let you, you know, you can run with them and, and do that whole thing. It's, it's, a, it's a blast. Uh, looking forward to doing that myself at some point this season with the little one. We, uh, we talked a little bit in the last segment about the perfect game that was going. It, it is was, unfortunately. Yohan Adan uh, has given up uh, now two hits to the Cincinnati Reds. He was perfect through five and two-thirds. Luke Maley singled, and now Ellie De La Cruz. Oh, what do you know? Ellie De La Cruz got a hit. Uh, still, the Nationals lead the Reds six to nothing. And I was just looking back. In fact, our, our executive peeling the curtain back a bit. Our executive producer, Brandon Riley, and myself were talking during the break about uh, the last time that more than one perfect game had happened in one season. As you know, Domingo Herman, whose story is far more than just the perfect game this season, uh, threw one for the Yankees back on June 28th. You will likely remember, maybe, maybe not, that there were three in the same season in which Philip Umber threw his perfect game for the Chicago White Sox. Umber uh, 
per, hit a, threw a perfect game against the Mariners at what was then Safeco Field on April 21st of 2012. Then about a month later, Matt Kane of the Giants threw a perfect game against the Astros. And then about two months after that, Felix Hernandez, then of the Mariners, threw a perfect game against the Rays in August of that season. Mark Burley's perfect game was in 2009. It was the only one of that year, but there were two in 2010. Dallas Braden, who we actually just saw in Oakland, broadcaster for the A's out there, good fella, knows what floor the elevator needs to go to in the Coliseum, which is very helpful for us. Roy Halladay threw his in 2010 as well. That was against the Marlins. Now, there have been, I was just reading through this in the Wikipedia article, and it always, it's a thing where, you know how you know a fact about Major League Baseball, but you kind of forget that you know it? Because the the, the breadth of baseball knowledge is so big. There have been 24 perfect games in Major League history. However, the first two were by Lee Richmond of Worcester and John Montgomery Ward of the Providence Grays. And those were back in 1880. They were five days apart, June 12th and June 17th in 1880. And I thought, you know what? I I read this, and I've always wanted a chance to do it, so we're going to do it here on White Sox Weekly. People tell you, you know, you hear, oh, baseball was a lot different back then. Here's how different baseball was in 1880 when Lee Richmond and John Montgomery Ward (laughs) threw their perfect games. The Wikipedia article says this. Note that the pitching rules in effect in 1880 were very different from those of the modern game. Only underhanded pitching was permitted, and the batter had the right to call for the ball high, low, or middle. There was no strike zone, and whether a pitch was good or unfair was left to the umpire's sole discretion, and foul balls were not counted as strikes. The pitching distance was 45 feet, It's 60 feet, 6 inches now. 45 feet. But that was from the front edge of the 6-foot deep pitcher's box, not the push-off point represented by the modern-day pitching rubber. It was a very, very, very different game at that point. I mean, so different that, not to take away from Lee Richmond and John Montgomery Ward, who threw perfect games in 1880, nobody else threw a perfect game until 1904 when Cy Young recorded the first of the World Series era. I'm sure they were good pitchers, but that's not baseball if you're throwing it underhanded. I mean, not the way we talk about them. So really, there have been 22 perfect games. Not to say anything uh, about the different you know, changes in leagues and levels and integration that have happened since 1903 when Cy Young threw the first perfect hitter in the World Series era. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Uh, we'll get back into, well, I guess we'll get into some of the pitching matchup between Michael Kopech and Noah Syndergaard in just a little bit. That diversion, I hope, was a fun one. Uh, but the perfect game chance by Johan Adon uh, kind of brought it to mind. and hope we can do it today of all days. Why not? Declan Cronin, a guy who is now in the White Sox bullpen and has been a starting pitcher in the past, but now a reliever for the White Sox, is going to join us on the other side of a quick break. Declan made his big league debut at Guaranteed Rate Field last Sunday and is a pretty interesting story. We'll get to him in just a little bit. First, we'll pause at 10 seconds for station identification. 
This is Chicago White Sox baseball. From the ballpark to the old National Bank State Street studio to you, WMVP, WSHE, HD2, Chicago. White Sox reliever Declan Cronin is our guest on White Sox Weekly. That's next on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. With me, White Sox rookie, freshly off of his debut and now ensconced into the White Sox bullpen, Declan Cronin. Declan, congratulations on the big league call-up, my man. It's got to feel amazing to achieve a lifelong dream. Congratulations. Thanks, Connor. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Certainly, uh, it's been amazing. It's been a whirlwind. There's a lot of words to describe it that don't quite do it justice, but yeah, it's it's been fantastic. So now you've already checked off one box that every baseball fan wishes they could, and that's pitching in the big leagues. You have also checked a second box, though you may not know it. Uh, You were a guest on the Effectively Wild podcast like five days into your big league career that's one of my favorite baseball shows, and you've gotten to guest, and you've only pitched twice to the bigs. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty cool, dude. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, ben and I went to the same high school at different times, but uh, he was uh, extremely gracious to, to have me on. It was, it was definitely a cool experience. So you, you are kind of a man of firsts or, or lasts, depending on how you look at it. You are the first, uh, is it Regian, Re- graduate from Regis. How are you guys, how are you guys saying it? Uh, Regian. Regian. Apologies all around. You were the first Regian to make the bigs, and you may well be the final guy out of the 36th round to make the big leagues because they, they don't they don't have a 36th round anymore. Is that has that all of it occurred to you? People have been mentioning that, and uh, I didn't think about it a ton. But now that you know, now that you say it. Uh, that's definitely a possibility and, and kind of crazy to think about how fortuitous it was that I was in that draft class. Um, I don't think I'd be talking to you today uh, if the draft was you know, where it is now in terms of length. So that, I find it interesting that you put it that way because that, that may or may not be true. I don't know if a lot of White Sox fans have gotten a hold of it yet, but uh, you've done a lot of work with Tread Athletics. As um, well, please describe you know the role with it. How did you get with this kind of you know advanced pitching lab? It's it's a lot like some of the you know some of the higher level analytic sabermetric biomechanical uh, approaches to pitching that we've been reading about over the last couple of years, and it it sounds pretty cutting edge. How'd you get involved? Yeah, I would say cutting edge is a good way to describe it. Um, When I was in college, uh, playing professional baseball was an aspiration. It was definitely a goal. Um, But, you know, I don't think my junior year I was quite where I needed to be to make that happen. I was lucky enough um, to have a college teammate who was drafted by the Cubs, actually, um, and and come back and train his first offseason back at school with us. Um, So getting to talking about, you know, professional baseball and what he was doing to prepare for his upcoming season, um, head into spring training and that sort of thing. He had actually uh, heard of Tread Athletics. He had uh, reached out to them and was training with them remotely. They're a remote first pitching development company. They have a location in Charlotte, but the majority of their athletes kind of train remotely. Um, uh, so he kind of said to me, you know, obviously a goal of yours is to get drafted, and if you really want to give it your all and say that you kind of did everything in your power, I think these are people that can help you kind of leave no stone unturned um, in the pursuit of that dream. I um, started working with them my, right before my senior year, through my senior year, 
was drafted and then you know i've worked ever since um the beauty of it for me is it kind of travels they, they travel with you wherever you're going in season off season um you know instructional leagues fall league you know whatever it might be uh and are there to kind of service your needs given the time of year and obviously in the off season there's a ton of development and uh, to be had, but also in season and staying on top of things and uh, sharpening arsenals and, and that sort of thing uh, was was huge to kind of make my development a 365 day, uh, you know, experience. We're talking with White Sox reliever Declan Cronin here on the uh, new episode of White Sox Weekly. I I wonder. You say you left no stone unturned. What stones did you turn over? Like where where was it that you wanted to? Uh, advance and make yourself more, I guess, appealing as a draft prospects to all 30 teams? Yeah, I think uh, a big one, at least to start, uh, was adding velocity. So I think that was kind of like a prerequisite in order to get any sort of interest there. I was going to need to throw a little bit harder. Um, you know, at the time in my junior year of college was, you know, upper 80s, maybe touching low 90s on, on days I felt good which just honestly doesn't really garner a lot of interest these days, um, especially at a mid-major and not a, you know, a, a place with a ton of exposure um, in college. Uh, so that was a big piece, and you know, how we went around developing velocity is a kind of multifactorial equation there. There's a lot of pieces that go into it, and it certainly doesn't happen overnight. But you know, it's a combination of getting stronger, uh, becoming more mobile, learning how to kind of move more efficiently on the mound, combining all of those things. Um, and eventually you start to see the and kind of reap the, reap the benefits there. It's funny. There's there's no, you know, guys talk about adding velocity all the time, or, or worse, you know, third parties will take a look at a system and go, oh, this guy added two or three clicks to the fastball, so he bumps up the ranking some. And it's like we talk about it as though this one weird trick at the bottom of the website helps you add two or three miles an hour, mm-hmm. but yeah. there's so much, so much that goes into it. I wonder if what what was the... What was the most difficult part about the journey of adding velocity for you? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's kind of like uh, just staying ahead of the curve. So for me, you know, we identified some some lowest hanging fruit in you know my arm action and stuff like that. And as I started to kind of fix those patterns, I started doing other things, and, and it was kind of like fix one thing and then have to see what new habits were created and and, and fix those and. It's just it's a nonlinear kind of like process uh, for most people, and I was certainly one of them. Um, where, you know, y- you have to kind of take things as they come, and as you address one problem, you might end up inadvertently creating another, and and being able to stay on top of that and not stay, you know, kind of tunnel visioned on any one thing, but look at you know the entire delivery as as a system of moving parts that are working together or potentially against each other and stuff like that um, is, is really big. When you talked with White Sox beat reporters when you first arrived at the clubhouse, you had kind of said something, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, and please clean it up for me if, I, if I've if i misquoted you, but you said something to the effect of, I'm a completely different pitcher than I was when I got drafted in terms of arsenal. And the reason you changed some of that is a lot of conversations with White Sox pitching coaches and kind of the, the, the pitching infrastructure, and because of the data behind what some of those different pitch mixes looked like. And you said, if you show me the numbers, I'm ready to believe it. I'll change it. What goes into that approach for you? How did you – were you always that way as a, as a baseball player and I, I assume a baseball fan? Yeah, I would say 
at least uh, in my college years and beyond, I've, I've always kind of had that mindset. Um, when it came to like actually changing my arsenal, it's obviously a little less theoretical and, and more practical at that point. Um, you know, because it's it's me, it's my career. Um, but you know, making the decision to switch to uh, sinker slider mix was uh, one that I kind of jumped at when I saw the potential there. I mean, had those conversations like you mentioned. Um, and it didn't take a ton of convincing. Um, I think it, I saw it as an opportunity to be a lot more consistent and honestly have a really, a really good shot at, at, at making it. You you had started and relieved at Holy Cross, the college you pitched at. You were, it sounds like, pretty ready to become a full-time reliever upon being drafted. What what fit there for you? Yeah, I've always liked it. Uh, I've always felt at home in the bullpen. Um, I think obviously starting and, and being a reliever, they both have their pros and cons, but I've always felt comfortable in the bullpen. I like the idea of pitching often. Um, I like the idea of coming into situations that uh, are unique and, uh, you know, different amounts of leverage and stuff like that. Um, starting is obviously has its, has its benefits there, and there's a reason why so many guys really, really like to start. Um, but for me, I, I think I've always felt at home and felt really comfortable in the bullpen. Uh, I, I feel pretty much fresh every day and, and want to just pitch as much as possible. So the bullpen's the place for that. You you did have to wait a little bit, though, to make your big league debut. I think you were on the team for two days before getting into your first game. I would imagine kind of double-edged sword, right? I, I saw you on the field afterwards Sunday. It looked like you had a good group there, so you had a lot of time for everybody to plan and show up and root and the whole thing. But also, I got to guess the nerves just get ratcheted up every day, right? That you hadn't, you know, that you hadn't gotten into a game and you knew you were just kind of waiting to, to make that baseball reference page happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, when I was in AAA this year, I don't think there was a single day that I was available that I didn't pitch. So it was definitely like a new experience <laughs> to be available and not throw. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like you said, obviously, like the anticipation just continued to be ratcheted up, but it was great. Um, you know, we had a really exciting win on night one, and, and that was really cool to kind of soak in and obviously be ready, but to, to take it in was really cool as well. Um, and like you said, yeah, Sunday, a lot of people were actually there um, for the first time all weekend. So it, it worked out that I was able to throw in front of uh, so many family and friends. Well, and it sounds like you had you had some friends from um, from either from high school, I think, from Regis make the cross-country drive or at least half the country. Yeah, overnight, 13, 14-hour drive. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of dedication there. And I'm definitely lucky to have such good friends. What was the um, – so you get to Chicago – You've you, you're with I, I would think a couple of guys that you played with at AAA Charlotte for at least a year or two. What yeah. was the big my goodness I'm in the big leagues moment for you? When did it you know when did it really hit you that you did it? I think there was a lot of those like along the way, even just in my first few hours there. You know, getting into the clubhouse, seeing the guys you're sharing a locker room with, a lot of talent, and obviously some really big names and stuff like that is, is the first kind of, wow, you know what I mean? Like I've got a locker next to these guys um, who I've looked up to. Uh, and then you go out and you, you know, play catch on a major league field for the first time. And that feels like a wow moment as well. And then walking out to the bullpen for the first time in front of a packed stadium is, is another one. Uh, and then obviously like actually taking the mound too. I think every kind of moment seems to one up the last uh, during your first you know, 24 hours or, or more there. 
where where does honest question here? Where does the big league charter fit into that? Oh my gosh, I'm in the big because like listen, fans may not know it, but you step onto that flight, you're told you've got food coming, and then a meal after that, everything's just taken care of. You know, no, you you just you did it, you made it. You're the big leaguer. Where is that on the list? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly on the list. There's a lot of stuff like that that uh, I think I mentioned this. Uh, previously as well like i remember talking to zach remillard in the hotel on my first day and just peppering him with questions and he's just like and you're just gonna have to like see it for yourself like i can't even describe or, or answer these for you and he's completely right about and there's just like so many things that fall under that category um so yeah it's, it's pretty incredible all right let's get between the lines here before we let you go what's you know you've pitched a few times the the jitters the nerves everything you know that's you're good to go more or less mm-hmm. What's next for you? What are you working on? What's uh, what's the next best version of Declan Cronin looked like here in the last two months in the bigs? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is obviously a great opportunity to continue uh, working on things that I've been working on all year, but also some things that we've kind of addressed uh, with the staff and just the you know week plus that I've been here. Um, I think for me, it's going to be just kind of executing the game plan that we design going into every series, um, and uh, you know continuing to polish and sharpen uh, the arsenal uh, as we kind of progress. But like you said, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm really eager to continue to throw and uh, get more innings under my belt and just contribute as much as I possibly can while I'm up here. Declan, really appreciate it, man. Congratulations again, and good luck today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You got it. That's White Sox rookie reliever Declan Cronin. We've got more White Sox Weekly when we come back on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. The ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM FM HD and app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Guardians coming up. Our pregame show in just about 13 minutes or so, 5.30. We'll get that game going. We'll get the pregame going, rather. Michael Kopech and Noah Syndergaard, the starters for the White Sox and Guardians, respectively. You can be at Guaranteed Rate Field Friday, August 25th for our second postgame concert of the season featuring Vanilla Ice headlining the I Love the 90s Tour presented by Whittingham Meats, also featuring Rob Bass and Tone Loke. One of DJ's favorites. Want an up-close on-field experience? Well, exclusive Field Pass ticket packages are on sale now with limited availability. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash concert. Big thanks to Declan Cronin, White Sox reliever, who was our guest here on White Sox Weekly just a few minutes ago. If you missed it or you only caught the ending of it or whatever, or you just want to listen to it again, or maybe you're Declan and you want to send it to your friends, you can do that. Download the ESPN Chicago app. Each and every one of our shows of White Sox Weekly is uh, downloadable as a podcast after the show is done, and you can keep those with you and walk them around and stuff. Declan Cronin, I was just looking it up during the break because I wanted to make 100% sure. Cronin was drafted in the 36th round by the White Sox, like we mentioned, and no one else in the 36th round of the 2019 draft has made the big leagues. So I scrolled back through that draft, right? And I wanted to see who the other latest drafted player was, who the next latest drafted player was to make the bigs. 
and that is Christian Encarnacion Strand. He's a power-hitting infield prospect. I believe he plays a little third, a little first base. One of the big-time prospects the Reds called up this season. Christian Encarnacion Strand was drafted in the 34th round of the 2019 MLB draft. Nobody in the 35th had made it. Uh, and then Declan, so far, is the only guy to make the bigs out of the 36th round. And I think it would... Listen, this is not a shot at anyone else who was taken in the 36th round of the 2019 MLB draft. But wouldn't it be cool if Cronin was the last guy from the last 36th round, the only guy from the last 36th round to make the bigs with the Sox and become an impact reliever in the whole thing. Maybe it would be even cooler if every one of the last guys taken in the 36th round made the bigs with their respective ball clubs if they're still playing and got it up there to the big leagues. But we'll see. That's just another conversation. And maybe it's a, for a, a different time. But just I, I do wish I understand the restrictions that were put in place by the COVID season. I mean, who doesn't? It changed a lot of things for a lot of people. But I do miss that the draft was 36 rounds. I do miss the expanded minor leagues, or not even expanded, the larger minor league systems we used to have. I I think any more, and we talked about this some with Declan when we were talking about Tread Athletics, the operation he's been working with for a couple of years uh, since his last year of college at Holy Cross. You know, kind of these player development third-party companies, it's made player development more accessible to to players at different levels throughout a system than ever before, right? I mean, it's no longer just the first and second round and maybe a couple of fourth-round high school picks that get the the main brunt and focus of the development staff at a big league team. And I'm not singling out any one team. I'm just kind of generalizing here over the last 35, 40 years or so. You know, everybody can go find, one way or another, that little extra step to get themselves uh, uh, to be a better prospect, to uh, catch a next contract, to maybe make the bigs, to maybe get a contract in the bigs, all that kind of stuff. And and that's what teams are looking for now more than anything else. We talk about this in the NFL a lot, right? That's a salary-capped league, and we talk about how important it is, Bears fans are well aware, to put together a good team while you're great, your quarterback, your stud quarterback is on a rookie deal because you don't have to pay him like Justin Herbert just got paid with the Chargers and you don't have to pay him like Patrick Mahomes is getting paid by the Chiefs. Even though you can still win with those guys at that elite level at those paychecks, it's a lot easier to win as a general manager, as a franchise, putting talent around those players when they're not making as much as they will, when they're you know bona fide superstars paid to that money. Baseball works somewhat similarly in that you need, though it's not a capped league, you need some guys to be able to come up through the system and not you know provide all-star or future Hall of Fame levels out of the 15th and 20th and 30th rounds, but you need those kind of guys to come up and give you you know, your major league average seasons, your quality fill-in stuff, your um, my first two starting shortstops on the depth chart got hurt, so I need to call up this eight-year minor league veteran who's been in the system for a while, knows how we get this done, has an existing relationship with our major league staff, and can just step in and play short. And no, he's not going to light the world on fire, but he's going to make every play on a ball that's hit to him, and he knows how to take the ball to the right side when the infield's pulled that way. You know, all those things matter in baseball, maybe even more than in some other sports because of how many games are on the schedule. And I think... 
you know, that conversation, that part of depth for an organization is a little bit why the White Sox or how the White Sox had gotten themselves into the situation uh, that they find themselves here in the last two months, right? The White Sox, as much as maybe any team in baseball over the last couple of years, has been looking for uh, more success from players who weren't their top-tier guys when their top-tier guys did get hurt. You go back to 2021 and Eloy Jimenez hurting the, uh, the pectoral muscle early on searching for guys to fill in in the meanwhile, right? And in 21, you, you did see some of that with Andrew Vaughn offensively filling in in his rookie year and Gavin Sheets stepping up and shedding 40-some pounds to figure out and help play right field. All that stuff mattered, but having more of those guys matters more, right? I mean, I'm talking about one specific position and where you're looking for some others. Uh, now the White Sox have, have made those trades and rounded out a farm system and will hopefully continue to add a whole bunch of talent at the big league and minor league levels so that the, the, the breadth of that talent is there to support a deep run into the playoffs the next time the White Sox are in position to do so. And I'm, I'm hoping that's 2024 as much as anything else. But we got a ball game tonight coming up. We've got Michael Kopech, and we've got Noah Syndergaard. I find it funny that Kopech was most comped to Noah Syndergaard because of the build and the look. And at the time when Kopech was traded from the Red Sox to the White Sox in the Chris Sale deal, the flowing blonde locks, right? You had Syndergaard at the peak of his you know, Thor powers with the big fastball. Now both are working with a little bit different stuff. Syndergaard has uh, struggled a bit. He started the year with the Dodgers before the Guardians picked him up. In a trade of their shortstop, Ahmed Rosario, Syndergaard, and we'll talk about this more on the pregame show, Syndergaard comes into tonight having made one start with the Guardians, and it was a good one, five and a third. He allowed uh, just the one Ernie, but with the, with the Dodgers this year, 12 starts in 55 and a third innings and a 7.16 ERA. Some struggles for Syndergaard, and here's hoping the White Sox can continue those struggles for Noah Syndergaard. Kopech starts for the White Sox. And again, we'll dig into both of these guys a little bit deeper here when we start the pregame show in just a minute or two. Uh, but Michael Kopech is looking for a much more walk-free outing. 102 thirds of an inning. He leads the American League in walks at 63. And it is, you know, it's, it's to his credit, to the stuff's credit, that the ERA is at 4.49 with all those extra base runners. That is a focus for Michael Kopech in the last two months of the season is to limit the walks. A big thank you to Scott Merkin of MLB.com and to White Sox reliever Declan Cronin for being our guests here on White Sox Weekly this afternoon. Jake Cantu's our producer. Brennan Riley's the executive producer of White Sox Baseball. I'm Connor McKnight, and we will uh, turn it around for the White Sox pregame show in just four minutes on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. 